Welcome back to Across the Movie Aisle, presented by Bulwark Plus. I am your host, Sonny Bunch, culture editor of The Bulwark. I'm joined today by Peter Suderman and Chris Orr, uh, who's filling in for Alyssa on her maternity leave. Chris, Peter, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderfully. I'm happy to be talking about movies with friends. First up in controversies and controversies, indie director Sean Baker is in trouble. Uh, no, he's not in movie jail. And the cops have nothing on him. I know he's in much worse trouble than that. He's in Twitter trouble, folks. Uh, that's right. The director of Tangerine, the Florida Project, and the forthcoming Red Rocket made the mistake of liking some uh, tweets by Democratic poll Tulsi Gabbard, in which Gabbard suggested that Kyle Rittenhouse uh, and the verdict around him was correct. Here's uh, the tweet that Baker liked. Quote, the jury got it right, finding Rittenhouse not guilty on all charges. Uh, the fact that charges were brought before any serious investigation is evidence that the government was motivated by politics, which itself should be criminal, end quote. Um, a little spicy, perhaps, but not out of the realm of reasonable discussion when it comes to a divisive trial and the sort. Uh, everything here is kind of tragic and complicated and more nuanced than, you know, either of the sides that are arguing about it really want to allow for and if there's anything we know Twitter loves, it's nuance, uh, which is why as soon as news began to spread that Baker had liked Gabbard's tweet, uh, there was much soul searching as people considered the deeply difficult situation and the broken victims at the heart of it. Uh, LOL, JK. Uh, Baker was quickly condemned as a racist, a white supremacist, and worst of all, a Republican, uh, all for liking a former Democratic congresswoman and Democratic presidential candidate's tweet. Now, the funniest part of all this uh, was a certain segment of, I would say, I think fair to say a left-wing segment of film Twitter, which is most of film Twitter, let's be honest, I decided that Baker, whose first two films, uh, Tangerine and The Florida Project, which were about trans hookers chasing their dreams and a child living in crushing poverty in the shadow of Disney World, respectively. Man, um, obviously has, a conservative provocateur. Actually been a secret reactionary this whole time. That's what's that's what's going on here. Uh, these sort of teapot uh, tempests are frequently not worth getting worked up about, and we ignore ninety nine percent of them on this show. But what's interesting about this is that Sean Baker is a relatively niche filmmaker. His films rely on getting decent buzz from uh, film media, film blogs, uh, personalities on film Twitter and social media, those sorts of people. Um, and that's how they generate excitement. He doesn't have a $40 million advertising budget to get folks to the movies. He needs critics and he needs indie movie lovers rallying to his cause. And a campaign aimed at making him radioactive politically uh, could potentially be devastating, be like actually very, very bad for the commercial and critical hopes of Red Rocket. Uh, Peter, how crazy is it that merely liking a tweet somebody else authored uh, in the midst of just, you know, your day-to-day or -day scrolling around on Twitter, boom, like this tweet, uh, how, ca how crazy is it that this can be seen as a strike against an entire filmmaker's body of work, his entire body of work? And also, like, frankly, I saw people calling on uh, calling on people to blacklist him, to blackball him, to say, like, never do nobody should go see his movie. Nobody should support him. Uh, what what sort of world do we live in where this is how people judge art? Well, I think this is a very serious matter. And frankly, I think blackballing is not enough. We need to have a Senate hearing. <laughs> and I I just, I won't rest until this is an issue in a presidential debate. And we hear what the next uh, two-party- Oh, Peter, it will be. worth of candidates have to say about this. I think this needs to be elevated to the most important issue in America right now. I just, I can't think of anything more salient. And Sonny, the fact that you would minimize this is just, it, I just can't believe it. That's that's all I've got to say. Terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. And and I, no, it's look, Twitter is kind of bad. 
and it brings kind out of. it. It's so look, there's good. There are good parts of Twitter, right? I mean, it, your your DVD tweets are good sometimes. My dog tweets are pretty good. I mean, it's mostly because my dogs are good. It's not actually me or the tweets. It's just the dogs, right? But there's good stuff on Twitter, and you don't have to use it badly, and you don't have to use it stupidly. But for reasons that you can kind of explain, but also. I don't think are necessarily built into the medium. They don't, it's not, it doesn't have to be the case that Twitter brings out the worst in people, but it does. And we've fallen into an equilibrium in which people feel like Twitter is encouraging and empower them to just be absolute asshats all the time and to be incredibly petty asshats about the tiniest, most meaningless little things, right? Like whatever you think about the the cases here about about the Rittenhouse case about the Ahmed Arbery case like a filmmaker a, somebody who has made some interesting little arty films that you, as we you were talking about in your intro like just in no way code uh, uh, conservative or to the right like they very obviously code to the left if you're going to assign any kind of political valence to them and I'm not saying that they are political like they're not op eds they're not necessarily the uh, you know sort of uh, intensely political. Uh, Films. They're not partisan, but they're if not. You we're partisan, going to assign a left-right spectrum yeah. to them. It's very clear where they would fall. And the fact that, that this person has simply liked a tweet by and a Democratic people have decided politician. to make that like a, a line in the sand and something that you know that we're that they're going to care about at all. I think just shows first of all how uh, how silly and how petty. Uh, a, a lot of the folks who end up writing about movies end up being right. Like they have decided uh, to bring a, their personal political hobby horses into their uh, let's be sort of public right. Like their sort of public facing uh, presences in, in ways that just don't make any sense, right? Like it's one thing to to sort of do political film criticism. It is another thing to just sort of decide that your entire project that like in life is not even to to care about the films, but to care up like obsessively about every little thing that is in the public record that a filmmaker, again, not even all that big a filmmaker, an interesting one, but not somebody who has like a, a, the world's biggest platform or anything, but to care obsessively about every little thing that that person has entered into the public record up, up to and including um, tweets in a way. And it's just... It's just crazy and it's just nonsensical and it drives me like I try not to think about this stuff because it actually kind of exercises me and drives me nuts when I do. Um, and so, you know, I, I think the real villain here is Sonny Bunch, who made me do a whole segment on this. And like the, the best way to like, honestly, the best way to, to react to this sort of thing is to try and as much as possible, just ignore it. But if it. But if we have to pay attention to it, gosh, you should say this is ridiculous and bad and people shouldn't be doing this stuff. Okay, so we don't have to pay attention to it. And as somebody who is relatively on the left, relative to the left of the, the other of you two, like Tulsi Gabbard is not a Democratic politician in any meaningful sense. She's a weird freak. Uh, she, you know, had a an absurd presidential run that went nowhere. I think 
There were things about I, it. I, I actually I, even like. Wait, 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 wait. She's clearly a Democratic politician. I mean, it's not. Well, I mean, not, in she's the, not Ron Paul. In the technical sense, yes, she is. My <laughs> guess is that if you were to do a poll on Democrats and what they thought of Tulsi Gabbard, she would be polling around 20 percent, maybe 15 percent. She is a wacko. And she is a wacko who is not a wacko at the center of the Democratic Party in the same way that there are certain wackos who are currently at the center of the Republican Party. Um, so I wouldn't care what she said. I wouldn't care what somebody who retweeted her said. And I certainly wouldn't care what somebody who just liked her tweet said. I mean, we're, we're literally like four degrees of separation from anything meaningful and significant at all. Well, see, but so, okay, so this is what I want to drill down on here because it doesn't really, like, it's not interesting to me what the actual tweet was about. What, what, what concerns me about this and what I think is actually relevant and we do have to discuss because it has an impact on how award season campaigns play out. It has an impact on how, like, actual release strategies will play out. You know, if this thing becomes toxic, A24 is just going to dump it. They've done that plenty of times. They, they, have, no, they have no compunction about just being like, ah, we're, we're, we're you know, we gave it a shot and it's, it's not going to work out. Uh, the very the fact that this sort of like tertiary social interaction can turn an entire uh, wing of criticism against somebody is is a real problem for the state of film criticism is a real problem for the state of film viewing. I think like it, it gets to a real problem with how people actually watch movies. Right now, look, here's the thing, Chris, and, and this is what this is what I want to get your your take on this. Peter and I have kind of a vested interest in being able to separate art and artist. Right. We we have you know, we're I I'm further to the right than Peter. Peter is further to the right than most Hollywood folks. But like, you know, we we just like if we only liked people who we agreed with, we'd have three Atlas Shrug movies and that's about it. Right. <laughs> so so, you know, there's there there's that angle to it. But I, I like you don't you don't have that same problem necessarily. You could you could excise all sorts of people who disagree uh, with you and you wouldn't have to get rid of that many. Um, so from the left, from the left's perspective, like, doesn't it? Is it isn't this bad for left left wing film writing and film criticism to 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 like boil everything down to this very singular perspective? Um, let me just say I I don't feel like I speak for the left. Um, I don't oh, well, intend the liberal to speak the, you're, for the you're left. Center left, I mean, center left. Sure, but but I'm not speaking. But I couldn't agree more with you. I I think anyone who thinks they don't want to see Sean Baker's future movies because he liked a tweet by a crazy politician once, like, that's insane. That's absolutely nuts. I have not seen Red Rocket. I look forward to seeing Red Rocket. I was a very big fan of the Florida Project and actually had the incredible good luck to, uh, at the Critics' Choice Awards, was at the Florida Project um, table. So I got to to spend some time with the uh, super young actress, six, eight years old, um, who was a delight. She was absolutely fabulous and spent time with her parents. And I, and I sadly got to see Willem Dafoe not win supporting actor, which, Ooh, you know, I think I'm, the, the look on his face, like he felt it. You could tell. Um, yeah. I Look, I don't know anything about Sean Baker's politics, and I don't really care. 
Should we? So, so part of the reason that uh, critics can tank a film like this and that A24 is responsive to them is that critics vote in award ceremonies. And that's, it's, I mean, part, it's like, it's Rotten Tomatoes, right? And so the scores matter and, and the studios, especially the indie studios who have to uh, do more and more marketing with fewer dollars in many ways for their films. Um, They care about Rotten Tomatoes, but they also really, really, really care about the uh, end of year awards because those, uh, because the critics awards, even the ones that, uh, you know, you would think are sort of, oh, that's relatively small. Like most people have not heard of this. Uh, They do in some ways drive attention and they can help build an Oscar campaign, which can make a tiny film in the end. And so, you know, the, it's to to Sonny's point um, about why this matters is that studios have to pay attention to critics to some extent because those critics uh, are voting on a war uh, you know on honors that uh, that make a difference to their bottom lines and I don't I don't exactly see how you get around that. Um, Except to sort of have, if you had a different, if you had a set of, uh, if you had critics with a different set of priorities. If you you had better critics, if you had critics who are not willing to make grand decisions on the basis of superficial politics. Right. And so this is the, this is the argument that we have consistently made on this show is that critics should not pay that much attention to this stuff. But on Twitter, on social media, in the you know, sort of modern Rotten Tomatoes, always online uh, film Twitter, film criticism, you know, online film criticism ecosystem, critics appear to have pretty clear incentives, both uh, in terms of their peers, in terms of their other critics, as well as in terms of audience incentives, incentives to treat this stuff as incredibly serious and to, in some way, in, in some cases, make a bigger deal about uh, filmmakers likes than about the film itself. And it's, it is, it's messed up, but I also don't know that there's a, like a thing that can be done except, you know, to have a, a good podcast where that doesn't happen. <laughs> Somebody should make that podcast. All right. Uh, the, I, I don't really want to ask if this is a controversy or controversy because it's obviously a controversy and it's obviously a controversy though. Just the, the stupidness of it all uh, drives me crazy. It's like um, quantum versy, but it's both at, <laughs> Once, <laughs> wait. It's a multi, yeah, controversy. It's a multi. It's multiversal. Yep, multiversal. I, uh, but uh, but this I is do, actually going to be the inciting incident in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. But I, uh, I do, I, I do want to, I want to send us out with, uh, with, with, with a the idea, and and the idea is this: just get off Twitter. That's just get off, get off Twitter forever. Go away. If if all of us were off Twitter, it would be a much better place. Uh, all right. If you uh, if if you enjoy the show uh, more than Twitter, and who doesn't? It's way better than Twitter. Uh, please head over to atma.thebulwark.com, where we'll have a special bonus episode on our favorite Will Smith performances. Speaking of which, on our main event, uh, King Richard. The heartwarming and mildly hagiographic uh, cinematic portrait of Richard Williams, played by Will Smith, dropped on HBO Max and in theaters this week. Williams, of course, is the father of Venus and Serena Williams, uh, and anyone who followed tennis in the mid-90s, or really sports in general in the mid-90s, was familiar with Richard Williams. He's a showboat. He's a braggart. Uh, He was a relentless hound for attention. Um, And Williams was often thought of as everything that's wrong with tennis dads. What this movie presupposes is maybe he isn't. 
<laughs> yes, time and again, we are hit with the message that Richard Williams was right, that it was those other tennis dads burning their kids out who were wrong, uh, and that his girls are all going to grow up to be successes. And as such, it doesn't really matter that the neighbors don't like the fact that he makes his kids practice in the rain. Um, and we know that that actually is right, because we know how Serena and Venus turned out. Um, and they are executive producers on this film, so you have to imagine that there was some sort of uh, agreement with the the portrayal of the father. Um Look, here's the thing. Uh, King Richard is your pretty standard inspirational Oscar bait fair. Uh, Will Smith is going to get an Oscar nomination for this. I would bet I would bet $10,000 on it, uh, and it will be well-deserved. He has mastered a whole array of tricks and ticks here, from the slight stoop that he walks with <laughs> to a not-quite-Cajun accent, uh, all the way down. Just every actorly trick. He's doing a lot of acting in this, folks. I enjoyed him. I thought I like. I always enjoy Will Smith. I think he's a delightful screen presence. He's genuinely charismatic. Uh, he's very good here. Um, uh, the movie is fine. I, I want to say I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was perfectly fine. Um, but I want to highlight just briefly my favorite moment in the picture, and it's this. It's maybe maybe my favorite moment in any inspirational sports picture. So uh, it comes relatively early on. Richard uh, has a gun and is going to murder a gangbanger <laughs> who has been hitting on one of his daughters uh, and who beat him up like viciously moments earlier. And right as he, Richard, is walking up to the, the storefront, gun in hand, ready to do the deed, uh, the gangbanger is miraculously murdered right in front of him like a guardian angel swooped down and showed up with an Uzi to mow this guy down in order to keep Richard from going to prison, an act that would have derailed the careers of Venus and Serena, obviously the most important factor here. Uh, later on, later on, and this is really just the, the capper to the whole thing, later on, the remaining gang members uh, swing by the tennis court to let Venus and Serena know that they are cheering them on. It's like, it's, it's, it's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in a movie like this. Uh, Chris, what did you make of King Richard? And uh, do you do you have any anything that is that equally bizarre that you could I, remember from a movie of this sort? I, I I don't think I can match the bizarreness of that. Um, I, I I was a tennis player growing up. Uh, I was hey, me too. obviously a vastly more mediocre tennis player than that, but but I was a very 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 serious tennis player in my teens, uh, and. One thing that I just loved about the movie is it just, I mean, there's one scene that's nothing but footwork behind the yes. baseline. I mean, tennis movies tend to be terrible about tennis. Like yep. Match match Point, Woody Allen's yep. movie, like neither one of those people knew how to hold a racket at all. Like not a single hit they ever made was meaningful. So I liked the fact that this movie was was serious about the tennis. And, you know, and uh, as Sonny, if you played tennis too, I mean, you know that like tennis parents and specifically tennis fathers are a specific horror, like out of Greek mythology. I mean, they're just <laughs> the absolute worst there is. Um, yeah. I, I, they, you know, Jennifer Capriati comes up repeatedly in this film, and her father was was atrocious. And um, I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, Mary Pierce, uh, French uh, French Canadian player. Um, her father was so terrible that he was banned from like ever attending a single tennis match. Um, I mean, 
it's it's a real thing. Andre Agassi wrote like a whole book about how much he hated okay, his dad. Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, was did did this movie feel like it? Uh, you know, it 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 gave King Richard an, an easy run. Of course, it did, because um, that's what the movie's expected to do. But it had, you know, I did think it it had its moments, including a few with his wife, of sort of calling him to to count. Um, honestly, I would say the most fascinating and bizarre thing about this movie to me is its whole premise, which is let's have a whole movie that leads up to Venus Williams losing in her first professional tournament. And Venus Williams was an amazing female tennis player, probably one of the 10 or 20 best of all time. But her sister was the best of all time. I mean, this is a little bit about making a biopic about the raising of Jim Belushi. I mean, <laughs> it's 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 just weird. I kept waiting for the film to get to Serena because well, you could, you could I mean, you could drill down another level on this, right, and say that it's a movie. Uh, it is a movie in which the two, arguably two of the ten greatest female tennis players of all time. Uh, it, it's actually about their dad. It's not really about them at all. Which is, uh, like, I can understand that criticism, but uh, you know, th- th- then you wouldn't have a uh, an Oscar vehicle for Will Smith. You would, you'd lose the whole point of the thing if it was if it was just about them. Well, uh, although I, again, I don't know the details, but I assume. <laughs> His his tennis parenting extended to Serena. I I doubt that he just stopped being a tennis parent when when Venus turned fifteen. Well, there's the line where he says he had to put her in Venus's shadow to you know make sure that she uh, she really could she could really excel. I know. I I take your point. I, I absolutely take your point. What? And I, why, I agree. Why with do you, you hate Serena, Sonny? Why do you hate her I, so much? I don't hate her. I don't hate Serena. I think she's fine. I just think the movie, you know, the movie is, is building up to a point. No, wait, I, I, I do like your point that this is a great tennis movie because it is the best tennis movie, quad tennis movie that I think I've ever seen um, from the training uh, to the uh, to the fact that everybody who is on the courts actually looks like they can hit a tennis ball, which is not always the case. I mean, like it's a bunch of juniors mostly, but the juniors all look like juniors who can actually play tennis, um, which is uh, which is nice. There's a moment in the movie where they open a can of fresh tennis balls at the start of a <laughs> tournament, and I literally oh, – I could smell it no, in that my nose. I had like the sense memory of it in, in, my, in my nose as I was watching it. Peter, I do not believe you were a tennis player. Uh, growing up, uh, what what as a, as an outsider looking into this niche subculture, what did you make of uh, King Richard? I mean, I think I took two tennis lessons, uh, <laughs> and I don't remember. And I'm not even actually sure I did. I might have hallucinated it, but I it's possible. Um, no, I assumed you guys loved this movie because it was about the dad. And like last week, you guys complained that Belfast should have been more about the dad. And here we have a movie that is more about the dad. And I just I just thought that that would I be thought, like the, I thought it was good. Chris I, and Sunnybait here. <laughs> I enjoyed it being more about the dad. Yeah. I like I don't want a movie about Serena Williams. I watch her play plenty of tennis. I want to see crazy, crazy Richard Williams. Ah, sure. So look, I I didn't hate this movie it is so so wholesome how could you hate it like this movie isn't just earnest it is possibly the least ironic movie i have ever seen (laughs) right it's and and i 
I mean, like I'm busting on it a little bit, but it's also pretty nicely done. It's got good, clear characters, very solid acting throughout with a big centerpiece performance, like a a nice, straightforward narrative progression with a list of challenges that need to be knocked down and are like set up well enough that they don't feel like they're coming out of the blue. It all basically works. Um, There is like a kind of... There's something a little bit grating to me about the pureness of the Oscar baiting here, right? Like, this is a flawless diamond of Oscar bait. <laughs> and, you know, it, it in a way that's like, it's kind of impressive to see that someone has managed to, to hone a project into something so pure. But there's also nothing nothing rough or out of place in this movie. There is not one single thing that that sort of, that makes this movie more interesting than it, like, well, uh, w- with the possible exception of, uh, of, of some of the very small technical details about tennis, none of which are dwelled upon. But like, I wanted to see a whole scene about the chessboard bit and about how there's like 214 positions. And instead this is like a throwaway line that's just like, oh, we're gonna show you that we've done the research on tennis, but we are not gonna let that get in the way of this moment of like training and triumph and struggle and like it, it, what comes after that, right? There's no unexpected beat or truly well, bizarre detail. Actually, and, oh, go ahead. Peter, I mean, the the one thing I would say is it has the exact precise level of making it more complicated. It has the exact precise level of making Will Smith's character less likable and less heroic. Like, like it, it, it is just a hair, just a touch, making threatening to make them watch. What was it? Cinderella? Uh, more than one, t- more than yeah, yeah twice in a drive, row. Uh, driving off, or driving right? getting away in the argument like, with his wife, right? It's yeah. it's it gets you the moment that they play in a traditional Oscars year. I guess who knows if we're going to have one of those, but like in the old days in the ceremonies, they would play, you know, the, the, for the best actor and best actress, they would play a bit where there was a lot of acting happening, usually at the very end of the second act, right? It's the moment where like you things really fall apart and like break down or very occasionally it's the moment at the in the third act where things are about to come back together right and this movie had those beats like in the most oscar telecast from 1994 way i can think I, of in a this very is, long this is this is exactly it's not that it 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 fails to complicate the story it's that it complicates the story exactly enough it complicates yeah. the story you know what 8% 12% it complicates the story just a little bit so that you feel like it's not just total hagiography. But the whole yeah, thing just sort of plays like, it's like yellow box Cheerios, right? It's uh, it's very competent <laughs> and it's very wholesome. It's pretty good for you, you know? It's like, and you're not upset. It's yellow box Cheerios. This is like the best breakfast in America for most people on most days. On the other hand, on the other oh. hand, it's like, oh my God, I've had, I've been having this since I was eight years old and it just, it's not that interesting either. <laughs> Is there a difference? Are there other kinds of Cheerios? Yeah, there's Honey Nut Cheerios. Blue Box Cheerios. There's Honey Nut Cheerios. uh, So you just call, you call regular Cheerios Yellow Box Cheerios to differentiate them from the other. Why don't you just call them Cheerios? Everybody knows what Yellow Box Cheerios are. Well, I do because I eat Cheerios every day because I'm boring. Right. But like, uh, but, uh, but uh, so I I do hope (laughs) that the Oscar clip in this, in this movie is uh, Will Smith farting. (laughs) (laughs) At the Nike executive, because that would that would make me that would be I 
this I I love. I, can we just talk very brief? We're going to talk about Will Smith more in the bonus episode and his 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 uh, history of of interesting performances. But I am I am so glad to have him back on the on the big screen in a big major role. I just find I like I think that Hollywood is less uh, is a less interesting and less fun place without him there. And I think he's I think he's perfect in this. Like I can't. Um, there's no other actor I could imagine settling into this role except maybe like Jamie Foxx if Jamie Foxx was doing something super crazy. I mean, you can't see him being replaced by Idris Elba again. I don't know. I don't I don't may, I mean maybe. I mean Idris Elba's pretty good too, but I like there's but Idris And Idris Elba, Elba has that scraggly beard just Yeah, like, but Idris Elba doesn't Idris Elba does not have or the Or can have that scraggly innate, beard anyway. He does not have the innate warmth that uh that Will Smith kind of exudes in even even in Richard Williams who again is like he I, like I don't think people if if you don't remember tennis from the from the mid nineties you can't remember just how like omnipresent Richard Williams was and how like kind of grating he was he he, he was Levar Ball he was yes, Levar exactly. Ball but can you tennis, explain yeah. that to somebody who doesn't uh, Levar Ball uh, father of of two current NBA players um, and the man who most wants to. Get he made himself of, the the center of attention while his sons were were about to come up into the NBA. But um, both but of yes, them, he is, both of them, lottery picks. Both of them, top in fact, top five lottery picks. Uh, yeah. And Levar Ball started a sneaker brand called Big Ball because that's his last sure. name. Sure. And whatever he was, that awful, awful man. Yeah. Um, but I really like again. Uh, somebody, this movie presupposes that he is not that awful man. He's actually a genius. Right, and so this this actually I thought was an interesting choice, and one that I'm not quite so sure about is that it suggests that the plan that he made for his daughters before before they were born, that's what he was says, basically a good idea and not kind of crazy and controlling, and obviously things turned out really well for his daughters, and so maybe. The evidence is is reality, and but at the same time, that Peter, Peter, it was seems... a terrible idea. It was an an atrociously bad and horrific idea that had a one in fifty thousand chance of succeeding, no. and it it succeeded. But that doesn't make it a good plan. And this movie yeah. seems to want Don't to treat to that kids. plan as something that we should be impressed by, rather than something that we should look at and think, wow, that's kind of nuts. And to me, it's, uh, yes, it, it, something about it worked, um, whether it was the plan itself or whether it was just that his daughters are, you know, it, 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 truly exceptional and were raised in a way, right? Like forget the sort of uh, the plan, uh, like here's what we expect from you by the time you're 20 aspect of it. Well, he was, and, there was and, a and, rigorous and raising also- of his children. And let's forget the fact that they had three sisters who never played professional tennis. Imagine what it was like to be one of them. Right. And so if there's a like if there's a weird thing about this movie, it's I don't think it's necessarily the choice to focus on the dad as the central character. It is the fact that Venus and Serena don't seem to have a whole lot of agency or inner life in this film. I don't mean in real life. I mean, the portrayal of of them here they they don't quite come across as props but they do oh. seem a little bit like honestly like pets right I, they're well, I, they I, are I, they are to I, be tra- just... they're like they basically do what they're told they've been trained and molded in a certain way right they do have some 
like desires of their own, right? We see uh, we see the the younger one just basically entering into a tournament on, on her own, but we don't really see how they feel about all of this with a except with a couple of very very small scenes that are just enough to suggest that they seem to be you know on board with what dad wants. Well, the the whole third I mean the whole third act conflict comes from Venus wanting to be in the tournament and pushing back against her father and like yeah I I think there's I I think I think the movie does a little bit better job with that but again it's not really about them. The movie is not the movie is about sure. King Richard. It's it's the fresh prince moving into his King Richard role and like I I you know <laughs> Oh my goodness. It is, yeah, it is I hadn't what, even thought that. Did you did uh, did you do uh, that on I'm purpose? Stepping, I'm stepping on my line. Uh, that's sort of the line I was going to use in my intro for the bonus. But yeah, uh, wow! So, give it away anyway, your I've best material for free here, Sonny. Um, the uh, one one last note before we before we sign off. John Bernthal, love John Bernthal. John Bernthal should be in every movie. There should be a John Bernthal cloning project. It puts him it gives him one role in every film. I I'm not sure I really noticed him until Wolf of Wall Street, and. God, I have loved him and everything he's been in since then. And and he's fantastic in this movie. And and fantastic in a different way. I mean, we've often seen him playing sort of really physical, macho characters. And and in this case, he's he's kind of the opposite. He's kind of the let's, you know, let's be gentler. Let's let's treat these. He plays, uh, for the record, he plays the girls. The girl's last coach uh, in the movie. He's he's running the tennis academy that they wind up in at the end of the film, and and he's wonderful and has one of the best mustaches I've ever seen on <laughs> film in my life. He uh, steals scenes from Will Smith in a movie in which Will Smith is very good, and that is hard yeah. to do. John Bernthal, everybody, <laughs> like gotta love him. Uh, so, what do we think? Thumbs up or thumbs down on King Richard? Peter, thumbs up. Chris, thumbs up. Uh, thumbs up for me as well. I liked it. I, I'm excited to see uh, how how much uh, bait this Oscar this Oscar bait uh, pulls in. Um, all right, uh, so that's it for this week's show. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Uh, if you loved it, make sure to check out our members only bonus episode uh, on Will Smith and his movies uh, at atma.thebulwark.com. Uh, make sure to tell your friends. Strong recommendation from a friend is basically the only way to grow podcast audiences. If we don't grow, we'll die. If you did not love today's episode, please complain to me on Twitter at Sunny Bunch. I'll convince you that it is, in fact, the best show in your podcast feed. See you guys next week. <laughs>